Thank you very much, um, Frank, Kathy. I'm deeply grateful to the Hewlett Foundation for its uh, support of this meeting and uh, this year-long project, uh, and to Frank Moretti, Maurice Matisse, and others at this extraordinary center here at Columbia, uh, whose wisdom, whose work with the magic of new media and education is just so exciting, as you'll see over these next two days, and to all of our participants who have come uh, to visit with us this week. Last week, a number of things happened that bear some relevance to the state of affairs that this conference is meant to address. Um, in Daily Variety, the show business Bible, there was another handsome article uh, about an accomplished company active in the documentary field. Atlas Media, the article went, one of the most active producers of nonfiction programming for a dozen cable networks, has set up a new division to develop and produce theatrical documentaries. That's promising enough. The article went on, the first feature-length project put together with Voom HD networks will focus on a behind-the-scenes look at Meatloaf as he goes about prepping for an 18-month worldwide tour. This is at a time when the Learning Channel, the Learning Channel, uh, originally conceived of by founder John Hendricks with such promise, is now officially called TLC in Discovery's Branding Bible, and showcases programs like What Not to Wear and Miami Inc., a show about tattoos. When the news doesn't tell us anything about the world we live in or what we are doing in it, and when the U.S. military, our own government, has effective last week cut off the access of all of our soldiers in Iraq to MySpace, YouTube, PhotoBucket, and MTV.com, a move redolent less of a Secretary of Defense named Gates than a General Secretary named Gomulka in a closed society from a land and a time far, far away. Imagine for a minute a world instead where all of us in this room and the organizations that um, large and small we represent are stakeholders in the future of nonfiction, where faculty, librarians, archivists, curators are passionately on the same side uh, uh, as leading producers, directors, and distributors, and the millions of consumers out there hungry for education and for American and world culture, and where video is as easy uh, to create and distribute and annotate and repurpose as a piece of email is today. Imagine a, a world where university education and some of the projects you will hear about this morning can connect um, to the outside world at various levels for intelligent contributions, uh, recognizing that the thousands of Columbia faculty, students, alumni, and friends out there notwithstanding the thousands of MIT, Yale, UC Berkeley, Case Western, Michigan State, faculty, students, alumni, and friends out there notwithstanding, uh, even the thousands of Cornell faculty, students, alumni, and friends out there notwithstanding, uh, there are by any kind calculation more smart people outside the university walls uh, and university firewalls than inside of them. And imagine a world where the paths between academic media productions, archival uh, resources worldwide, the talents and experiences of producers, directors, and cinematographers, and the public are paved, swept, and illuminated like runways at an airport in the morning. This is the uh, world we are going to be investigating in some detail over these next two days, with presentations from stakeholders, from non-commercial institutions, uh, and private enterprises and government agencies, 
concerned with its improvement, describing a set of common concerns, common obstacles, and uh, emerging solutions for improving the field of educational video, a field less than 100 years old, whose systems are not yet entrenched like the worlds of print, and whose future we can influence for the better. Um, so, I would like to open with five general points about today's media and technology environment and say a couple words about the structure of our meeting. So my uh, five points. First, um, demand for online video worldwide has exploded. Over 100 million videos are watched on YouTube alone every day. The top 10 video streaming sites uh, now stream some 7 billion videos a month. That's 10 million a minute. And BitTorrent the internet protocol that facilitates online sharing and distribution of video and audio uh, is the number one file format in use on the internet worldwide. These aren't just people filming David Hasselhoff chundering or swinging their house cats around by the tail. Um, they are accessing university lectures, uh, information, and resources that can, in fact, make us feel proud and all things being equal safe to be their neighbors. Second. Um, the opportunities to produce video have exploded. Teenagers, groups of all ages, but teenagers especially, are producing and posting rich media online in numbers that are growing exponentially. Over 70,000 videos go up on YouTube every day, for example. Young people in the United States and worldwide mimicking what we do when we cut and paste casual text from a website or an email or a Word document now believe they have a veritable video access mandate, a new almost inalienable right to work with video, to access it, cut it, paste it, change it, post it, much as with text online. My colleagues Mark Phillipson and Jonah Boswitz have riffed on the fact that last year Stanford law professor and Creative Commons founder Larry Lessig, uh, never a shy one about identifying a trend, declared spectacularly after a presentation that featured several video mashups from young producers that text, text is dead, that the written word has become the Latin of our modern times, that the ordinary language, the vulgar or vernacular language, the new language of the street is video and sound, and that the software suites that facilitate video and sound editing, Apple's iMovie, Adobe's Premiere, the others listed here, including open source video editing tools as well, are the new essential tools of speech in the digital age. What Lessig calls a shift in uh, production and use patterns, from read-only to read-write engagements with video, now result in uh, millions of original new videos and mashups of classic material being posted online every week. According to one estimate, almost half of all video online today is user-generated. That's a remarkable statistic. Walt Mossberg of the Wall Street Journal has opined that everyone uh, now can be a video producer, and he tells us that most every computer package on a Mac or Windows now comes with elemental video editing software and a camera, and we can buy additional software for a few hundred dollars. The Financial Times has declared, with the looming of YouTube, uh, from whom uh, Obadiah Greenberg will speak to us today, and with the arrival of Juiced, the new video service from the founders of Skype and Kazaa, whose director of business development will speak to us today, that the democratization of video distribution is now underway. Uh, their access, and this is the third point, is undeniable. First to professional resources, moving image archives, uh, millions of hours of audio and video around the world. Um, uh, and we will hear from several of these uh, curators of these archives today. And then 
to everything. Um, as you can see from this slide, over the next 13 years, an iPod or a device its size will be able to hold a year's worth of video by 2012, all the commercial music ever created by 2015, and all the content ever created in all media by 2020. Shrek 3 is already online today, and uh, by the time my youngest child, Charlie, who is six, enrolls at Columbia, <laughs> an iPod or a device its size will be able to hold all the human knowledge ever created in all media. Whatever that device is, you can bet it will have a camera and a microphone on top of it. So my fifth and final point is that the um, legal and economic constructs around all of this are changing too. Uh, my colleague Eric Mattis at the center told me yesterday that Chris Anderson's new book contract at Hyperion, uh, from the, Chris Anderson from The Long Tail, the editor of Wired, is for a volume called Free to be delivered in 2008. And on his blog, Chris is asking people which subtitle they like better. Free, the story of a radical price, zero. Free, how zero, zero, zero changed the world. Free, how companies get rich by charging nothing. Free, the economics of abundance and the marketplace without money. Free, the past and future of a radical price. I kind of like five, he says. What do you think? We will hear from Eric Saltzman at Creative Commons, Josh Nathan, General Counsel at WNET 13, and others here on both days about new initiatives in this area and legal regimes emerging to cover education and public use more generally. All of this uh, suggests that it is time now to take the temperature of rich media. Now at the start, at the heart of this meeting is the university uh, and its work at the intersection of video education and open culture. On any given day at the center, my colleagues here will be transcoding classic silent films for a class in the School of the Arts, perfecting a video editing tool to allow the comprehensive manipulation of moving images for assignments, working in the School of Social Work with archival video from the Cambodian killing fields, filming new assets in a mock AIDS intervention, digitizing an interview with an English professor about Ralph Ellison, shooting B-roll of the Apollo Theater and the churches and synagogues in Harlem, video recording teachers teaching children to count at Teachers College, or judging documentaries for the DuPont Awards at the same university that also administers the Pulitzer Prizes and the Bancroft Prizes in history. That energy is huge, but at the same time, the uh, particular suite of challenges that universities and other educational institutions face in the digital uh, video age requires some new and profound examination and will benefit from ongoing proofs and descriptions of best practices being compiled, published, and consistently improved and updated. So this meeting features 45 speakers over two days. Maurice and uh, his team have provided us opportunities to enter comments about the presentations online, in case we don't have time to razz our speakers while they're up here at the podium. And, and please, take advantage of this, uh, um, those of you who care to, with your uh, laptops. We are fortunate to have the uh, greatest speakers working on these topics. Uh, beginning to address their experiences here with us, their challenges um, in the following fields. Uh, university productions, educational productions outside the academy, distribution options and best practices for educational video, rights and key legal considerations for producers, distributors, and consumers, 
technology issues at the intersection of video and education, archiving preservation best practices, archiving access best practices, teaching and learning best practices at the heart of the heart, the heart of this meeting, research and scholarly communication best practices, and finance best practices uh, towards sustainability and self-sustainability. When the people who are represented in this room, educators and public broadcasters, public broadcasters and public libraries, work closely together, when cultural institutions and uh, private enterprises can fashion useful agreements over cultural heritage materials, stimulated by educators, educators like Frank Moretti, with a nudge from an occasional mediator like Jeff Bois, we can see some great things happen. Here's a clip meant to demonstrate uh, just a bit of that. Uh, it's from an interview that we recorded at USC late last year for a project that we are doing, trying to harvest hundreds of hours of film about Alzheimer's. It's directed by a Columbia DuPont award-winning filmmaker. Um, it's shot by a, a Sundance award-winning cinematographer. And this is Roberta Diaz Bobby Brinton, professor of molecular pharmacology and toxicology uh, at USC, director of the STAR Science Education Program there, and head of the Pharmaceutical Sciences Center. The video of a neuron, and you begin to see a neuron that looks beautiful. It's healthy, it's plump, it has these beautiful arbors and neural connections, and it's connected even in a cell culture. Neurons want to talk to each other. They want to connect. They want to create those neural circuits that say, we can do amazing things together. We can make videos. We can find ways to prevent Alzheimer's disease. We can do this. And then you begin to see what happens when you put just one of the degenerative insults of Alzheimer's disease, this beta amyloid peptide, and you begin to see the cell. At first, the network begins to degenerate. I know the processes begin to grow old before your very eyes. And then they shrink. The cell body completely implodes and now begins it's transforming reality of dying, and dying in a way that won't create more havoc by its dying. It's an implosion. And then you begin to see the results of not only that dying, that cell dying, but the other cells in the network progressing and dying, so that when one of them dies, that one neuron dying is a message, and that in other components of the neural network begin to degenerate. The network begins to die, and with it, who we are. Now, hopefully that won't happen to any of us during this meeting. Um, try to keep it stimulating enough. Um, 
And uh, with that, uh, I'd like to thank you again for coming, and maybe we can invite our next panel up. Thank you.